Glad you guys are here. Glad to spend this first Sunday of Advent with you. Um, so just a, a quick little introduction. You see the season of Advent on the screen. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about Advent. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the season that is more than just Christmas time, more than just a, a baby in a manger, uh, although that is super important. But when we think about Advent historically, we're not so much thinking about the first coming of Jesus alone. We're also thinking about his second coming. Because we believe as the church that Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead. He's coming to make all things new. He's coming to establish his eternal reign once and for all. So we're going to be talking about four big ideas uh, surrounding the season of Advent over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to start today with the idea of repentance. Repentance. Now you might think this is kind of a weird weird way to start the Advent season, talking about repentance. Why would we do that? Well, if you have a Bible, find Mark chapter 1. This is where we'll start this morning. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14. I talked about how historically Advent has been more about the second coming than the first coming. And the historic topics of the Advent season, so if we were at like a higher a liturgical church, maybe like an Episcopalian church or an Anglican church, uh, they have a church calendar. There, there's a, a set calendar that here are the things that we do in different seasons of the year. And at Advent, there are always four Sundays. And historically, the four topics of Advent have been death, judgment, heaven, and hell, which is just super chipper and encouraging, right? Uh, but so why would why would they think about those things? Why would they think about death, judgment, heaven, and hell? Well, all throughout history, we used the church has used Advent to remind us that the life that we live right now in this world is not all that there is. That that we are waiting for something bigger to come. We are waiting for something eternal to be established. So we're going to look at four big ideas, like I said, a little bit different than death, judgment, heaven, and hell. We're going to be looking at the idea of repentance. Next week, we'll look at the idea of fulfillment, thinking about how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these prophecies and promises throughout Scripture. Then the next week, we'll talk about the idea of joy. And then the fourth week, we'll talk about hope. So all throughout this month, we're going to be looking at these ideas to get our minds fixed both on the wonder of Jesus' incarnation, that the Son of God would dwell among us, that he would put on flesh and be with us. But we also fix our minds on his imminent return, his second coming. He is coming again. So we're going to look at the doctrine of repentance this morning and why it's vital for the Christian life and why I think it's helpful for us to start off the Advent season this way. So you should have found Mark chapter 1, Verse 14, Mark 1, 14. This is what it says. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let me pray for us before we go any further. Lord Jesus, you call us to repentance. You call us to faith in the one true gospel. You, in your first coming, dwelled among your people, dwelled among sinners as a Savior, as a Redeemer, as the friend of sinners. 
But Lord, we know that you are coming again as a holy and righteous judge. So God, help us to have a a biblical understanding of what repentance is and what repentance means and why it's so important for our lives. Help us to be people of repentance. Help us to feel the urgency to call our neighbors, our brothers and sisters, our co-workers, our classmates, those around us to repent. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I got three big ideas to talk about this morning as we think about repentance. And the first one we'll see on the screen is this. The kingdom of God is for those who repent of their sins. The kingdom of God is for those who repent of their sins. So we just read in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus the Son of God incarnate, began his public ministry with a clear proclamation. The kingdom of God is at hand. The the kingdom of God is here. So repent and believe the gospel. The first thing Jesus says on his public ministry is to repent for the kingdom of God is here. Jesus ties repentance and belief to the kingdom of God as the right response to his revelation. Jesus begins his ministry with something that would have caused the Jews to perk up. Because in those days, the Messiah, the the promised one, the one who was going to bring in the kingdom, the, the son of David from 2 Samuel 7, was thought to come and establish God's kingdom forever in this life. He was going to set up a kingdom and rule forever. He would overthrow all the oppressors of Israel and reign over the world. So in the first century, you would think as a Jew, the Messiah is going to be a king, a son of David, who would overthrow the Roman Empire and establish the reign of Israel forever and ever. But Jesus now comes with his message of the kingdom's arrival, that the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is at hand. And instead of a call to arms to go overthrow these Roman oppressors, Jesus gives them a call to repent. The kingdom of God, according to many, is defined as God's people in God's place under God's rule. So if you're taking notes, that's probably something you want to remember. All right. If you're thinking about what is the kingdom of God, when I hear that phrase, when I hear people talk about it, what is the kingdom of God? It's God's people under God's rule, in God's place, or God's people, in God's place, under God's rule. Those three things, super important to have all together. So if the kingdom of God is at hand, it means that the king is near. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, God is close to them. But God's people are not those people who are ethnically Jewish in this instance. God's people, according to Jesus in Mark chapter 1, are those who repent and believe the gospel. So what does it mean to repent? I think there are two aspects of repentance that we see in Scripture that combine to give us a full view. Because if we're talking about repentance today, I don't want to assume that all of us have a a full biblical view of what repentance really is. Some of us could probably give a a pretty simple definition that to repent is to stop doing what you're doing or to turn around or to about face. And those are all right. In the Old Testament, the, the kind of the center of gravity as we think about the concept of repentance is on turning around. We travel one way, then we turn and go another way. That is the act of repenting. 
stopping what we're doing, and turning around. All right? But repentance is not just stopping what we're doing and turning around. In the New Testament, the idea of repentance includes the concept of changing your mind. So in the New Testament, the uh, the, the word is metanoia, and, and the, the word constantly or, or regularly is translated as to change one's mind as well as repent. So we rethink what we're doing and come to a different conclusion than what we had before. So if we put those things together, if repentance is a change of mind and a turning away from actions or desires towards something else, then what we see is that repentance is more than just changing your behavior. And repentance is more than just knowing that what you're doing is sinful, all right? Because here's the danger that can happen. If, if you come in and to your, if you think about your own life and you say, I want to repent of my sins, meaning I just want to stop doing bad things. But I, I have no change of mind. I have no change of heart. That's a, that's a change of behavior that's not going to last. Because pretty soon your desires to do the things that lead you away from God will continue to grow stronger and stronger. On the other hand, if you think that repentance is just changing your mind, just knowing, oh, I don't want to do those things. Those are bad things. They, they grieve God's heart, but, but I can't help it because my, my life is riddled with sin and, and I, I want to change, but I just can't change, and so I just don't change my behavior. Well, then obviously you've fallen short of a biblical view of repentance as well. We need both. We need both a stopping and changing of our behavior and a change of our mind towards something else. In Jesus' first coming, he called Israel to repentance and belief, to turn from their sins and the sins of their fathers, and to turn from trusting in self-righteousness, and to turn from the preconceived idea of Messiah that history had created for them. Jesus is saying, don't just change your behavior. Change your mind and your actions towards the kingdom of God. Students, when we come to know Jesus, we come through repentance. When you come to know Jesus, you come through repentance. In order for you and me to have a right relationship with God, we must repent of our sins. We must turn from our self-righteousness. We must turn from our ideas where joy and satisfaction are found. And we must turn to Christ. That's how repentance and faith are connected. When I turn from my sin, I'm turning towards something else. And that turning towards something else is my faith. I'm putting my faith and my trust in something other than my desire to sin. They're two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. And they're the way that we are united to Jesus. So as we start off this Advent season, we, we think and we recognize and we realize that the way that I'm connected into this whole season of Advent is through repentance and faith. The whole way that I'm connected to Christ is through turning from my sins and believing in Jesus. So the question must be asked, do you believe the gospel and have you repented of your sins? Have you ever changed your mind away from your sin and towards God? In, in other words, do you, do you want to be righteous? Like I know that we would all like instantly say, well, yes. 
But think about that for a minute. Like think about your own life, your own desires. Just think about how you live your life or how you think. Do you want to stop sinning? Do you want to be holy? Do you want to be righteous? Or do you want to be seen as better? Or do you want to get more clever in hiding your sin? Because students, apart from the gospel, apart from the changing of your mind and the changing of your heart by the Holy Spirit, a fleshly and works-based and man-powered repentance is going to lean into that idea. I just want to be seen as better than I really am. So I'm going to do good things. I'm going to try to earn my own righteousness to be seen as better than I am. Or you're going to think, okay, what are some ways that I can manage my sin or control my sin or hide my sin? That's not repentance. That's not faith in the gospel. So students, I'm begging you, as we think about this Advent season, as we think about our whole life, as we think about all of eternity, ask yourself that question. Has my mind been changed away from my desires to sin and towards God? That's not to say that Christians don't struggle with sin. That's not to say that Christians don't wrestle with temptations and desires. But at the end of the day, am I placing my faith in the finished work of Jesus? And am I saying with full confidence, I hate my sin. I want my sin to be put to death. Or do I continue to flirt with sin and try to find ways to be seen as righteous without actually having to be righteous? Make no mistake, we see here in Mark chapter 1 that the way that we get into the kingdom of God is through repentance of our sins. But repentance is not a one-time thing. What we see in Scripture is that the Christian life is one of constant repentance. So before you say to me or to yourself, well, yeah, I remember when I was 12 or when I was 10, I repented. I turned from my sin. I, I trusted in Jesus. Praise God. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit that you would turn from your sins and be uh, risen with Christ to walk in newness of life. But don't think that you're done turning from sin. Find with me a 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Starting in verse 8. Scripture tells us, that repentance is not a one-time thing. It's not just a, an event that we take part in that brings us from one state to another state. No, if you're taking notes, the second point this morning is this. Scripture calls us to a life of repentance. A life of repentance. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8. Let me give you the, the context. This is 2 Corinthians, meaning that Paul has already written a letter or perhaps more than one letter to the church in Corinth, calling them out on their sins and calling them to be holy and righteous. He's rebuking them for their sinfulness. So let's pick up in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter 
grieved you, though only for a little while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Paul in this text is rejoicing that the church in Corinth repented of sin. But don't miss this. The church, the gathering body of believers, those who have already repented of sin, he's rejoicing because they have repented again that they have turned from their sin anew, that this group of believers has once again said, I want to put my sin to death. Students, repentance is the rhythm of the Christian life. You and I walk with Jesus in this broken world full of sinful people and sinful things and sinful desires, and we quickly recognize that we have not been totally freed from the power of sin in our own life. We still fall short as believers. We still disobey God as believers. We still grieve the Spirit as believers. And if we're not careful, we still rob glory from the Lord who saved us. So if you have sin in your life and you need to repent of your sin, that is the normal rhythm of the Christian life. You are not an anomaly. It's not though it's not as though God's grace has not stuck on you because you're still wrestling with sin, because you're still wrestling with temptation, because you're still wrestling with anger or lust or doubt or pride or whatever it is. It's the regular rhythm of the Christian life that as you walk with Jesus, by His grace and by His Spirit, He will draw and call to mind sins for which you need to repent. So the right response of a Christian when confronted with their sin, is not to throw their hands up in the air or to neglect the nagging sinful desires in their own heart, but instead to put them to death and turn from them. Students, it is not sufficient as a believer to walk through your life knowing that you are sinning in a pattern of sin or in a pattern of neglect and know, hear the promptings of the Spirit, hear the preaching of God's Word, see the the evidence of God's Spirit in, in the lives of those around you and go, yeah, maybe one day. Maybe one day, but you know, right now it was, was fine. That's not what God has called us to. Instead, we, like the church in Corinth, if we would listen to the promptings of the Spirit, if we would listen and witness the Word being preached, if we would listen and witness our brothers and sisters around us, we will feel godly grief. We will be grieved over our sin. Our grief will lead to repentance. Jesus' first coming this Advent season established that we can receive grace and healing through our repentance. The church in Corinth received this grace in 2 Corinthians 7 through the rebuke of their brother Paul. Like It is a good thing that Paul rebuked the church in Corinth. It's a good thing that they were exposed 
exposed so that they might repent of their sin. God uses all kinds of means to produce godly grief in you and in me. He uses our own conscience. He uses the Holy Spirit. He uses the local church. He uses preaching. He uses relationships and more. And all of this is good. It is a good thing that you might be exposed, that you might be seen, that the light of God's grace might shine in the dark corners of your heart so that you might put that sin to death. These are the various trials the New Testament talks about that produce godliness in us. But this is not the same as worldly grief. Worldly grief is guilt because you got caught. Worldly grief is frustration because you're overwhelmed with the drama that you've helped create among relationships. Worldly grief is this feeling of exhaustion because you keep trying in your own power to manage the brokenness of your life. Worldly grief leads to guilt, it leads to shame, and ultimately it leads to death. That's worldly grief. But the Spirit produces godly grief in you so that you might produce life instead. Part of the good news of Advent is that we can repent of sin as believers knowing that the Lord is at work in us. So so don't miss this. When you repent of sin, you can be confident that God is at work in your life that He is near to you, that He is working within you, that He is for you, that He has a plan for you. When you are repenting of sin, when you've been exposed for your sinfulness, you can know without a doubt that God is at work in you. Why? Because your sinful flesh would never do that on its own. Never. So the only explanation for us to own up to our sinfulness and to confess that sin and turn from our sin and and put that sin to death and to turn once again towards the things of God is confident evidence, a surety that God is at work in your life. Jesus came in his first advent so that he might send his spirit to dwell within us and make us more like him. And as we live a life of repentance, the power of sin in our life weakens. As we put sin to death, sin's power weakens. So do you need to repent today? Is there sin in your life that you have harbored without confessing? Is there a a pattern in your life that you know dishonors God? Is there a, a way in which you treat other people that you know dishonors God? Is there a neglect to the things that God has called you to? in your life. Students, if you know that you know that you need to repent, if you feel that godly grief, that is not a sign that you are not a Christian. It's actually a sign that the Spirit is drawing you all the more closely into the arms of Jesus. It's it's a sign that the Spirit is drawing you into Himself to be holy, to be godly. So let's make it our aim to live our lives before God ready to repent when we're aware of our sin. And let's do the hard thing of calling those around us to repentance. 
Because I might see something in my brother or I might see something in my sister that they don't see. Jesus has this wonderful analogy of you who would pull the speck from your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye. Don't miss Jesus' point. Of course, Jesus' main point is deal with the log in your own eye. But there's still something in your brother's eye. And you need to remove the log from your own eye before you can help your brother. So ask yourself, am am I living my life before God? Do I know of anything that I need to confess and repent of? And once I've had that conversation with me, once I've prayed and asked the Lord to, to search my heart, to know and see if there's any wicked way within me, to cleanse me, to search me, then I might say, God, how can I draw up my brothers and sisters to holiness? Do I have relationships with the people in this room or the people in this church or even the people in my own immediate family that are strong enough to to hold the weight of this kind of tension? Friend, I've noticed something going on in your life. And I don't think it honors the Lord. I mean, have you had a conversation like that before? It's really scary. It's really awkward. And oftentimes you just don't know really how to even approach that conversation. But, but let me tell you, that is a sure sign that God is at work among his people. When I'm more concerned, when you're more concerned about your friend's relationship with Jesus than their relationship with you, it will give you boldness to have hard conversations that will actually produce fruit that will bear out forever. But if I'm so concerned about maintaining relationships as they are right now, I will never have those difficult conversations and I will never be able to bear that kind of fruit that will bear out forever. Instead, I'll just maintain the status quo of this brokenness that I know exists but don't want to deal with. Students, God has given us His Spirit. He's given us boldness, not fear. And He's given us love towards one another. That love believes the best about one another. That love keeps no record of wrongs against one another. So we now have the freedom as the church to call one another and to join alongside one another to live a life of repentance. So not only do we call one another to repent of sin, not only do we call ourselves to repent of sin, finally, we need to call those around us to repent because one day it will be too late to repent. So that's the third point this morning. If you wouldn't mind, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. One day it will be too late to repent. So as we're thinking about the Advent season, as we're thinking about all of the, the wonderful things, even in a life of coronavirus, I'm seeing like pictures of people putting up their Christmas trees and their ornaments and their decorations, and stores now look a little bit different if you go into the stores nowadays. and There's just this difference. It's noticeable. It's a different time of year. People are thinking about all that's happened over this last year. I'm thinking about the brokenness of the world. And students, we know about the hope that we have in Jesus. We know the light of the world that darkness will never defeat. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, Now this is the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind 
by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They'll say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact. The heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 8, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Students, it feels like we have forever. And I know that I regularly think this way. I would imagine that you probably think this way, that if we're honest, in the regular course of our lives, we're not thinking Jesus could come back today. Like, I'm thinking, man, I have a little boy who's one month old, and I'm so excited to see him grow up, and I'm excited to see him go to school for the first time and get a driver's license and graduate from high school and, and move away and go to college and start his own family because now I have this, this love for this child welling up in me, and I have not been promised any of those things. And yet, I live my life as though that is guaranteed. I live my life as though the next 20 years are a done deal. They are not. Tomorrow is not a done deal for any of us. We live our lives presuming that we will surely have a full life and then just float on to heaven when we die. Surely I have 70 more years, 80 more years on this earth. We should not presume that we know the length of our lives because we don't. And we should not wonder as some did in Peter's day, whether Jesus really is coming back. In verse 9, it says that Christ's second coming is delayed from our perspective because he's patient. He wants all those that he has called to come to repentance. But verse 10 tells us that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In other words, you and I will not expect it. No one expects a thief. We go to sleep at night. We don't stay up watching the door. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The world will not expect it. We all will be exposed at Christ's return. And at that point, it will be too late. This Advent season may not make it to Christmas. There may be some in this church who will celebrate Christmas in 2020 for the last time. Jesus may come by the end of the day. He might be coming before the end of the service. I say all of these things to help us feel the urgency of repentance because the world is lost. 
The world is broken. The world is able to drum up just happy thoughts about Christmas trees and presents and jolly old St. Nicholas drinking a Coca-Cola around some polar bears, but they cannot give anyone eternal hope. Because when they look around, all they see is what they cannot control. All of us, over this last year even, have probably experienced either closely or through a friend or a family member the sting of death or the sting of debilitating sickness or something that reminds us of our mortality. The world, apart from the gospel, is destined to spend all of eternity apart from God unless they repent and believe. One day, it will be too late. It'll be too late for family members. It'll be too late for coworkers. It'll be too late for our classmates. Could it be, could it be that you are here this morning by the providence of God in part so that He might remind you today what you have been called to do as a disciple of Jesus? That you are reminded once again to go and share the good news of the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, and we do that by calling sinners to repentance. Or could it be that you're here because you need to repent? Because you asked yourself that question a couple minutes ago and you found yourself wanting. I know, I, I know the stories, I know Jesus, I know that he died on the cross for my sins, but, but have I ever turned from my sin? Have I ever placed my faith in Christ? Have I ever put my sin to death? Christ has come. In the season of Advent, we celebrate the baby boy in a manger who while as the baby Jesus was fully dependent on his mom and dad, and yet by his divinity was upholding the universe by the word of his power. There's a line I love so much. It's a Christmas song that says, Who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we would hold God in our hands? Students, Jesus has come. And he's come as a savior, as a redeemer, to make a way for sinners like us to come into his kingdom. And we as the followers of Jesus, between this present evil age and the age to come that has been promised to us by Christ, we will live our lives in the rhythm of repentance. That's what awaits us until his second coming. But he will return. And one day the opportunity for us and for those around us to turn from our sins will be taken away. God is rich in mercy and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, but he will by no means clear the guilty. And one day, his mercy and his patience will turn to justice and wrath. That Christ's first coming as Savior and Redeemer will be overshadowed by his return as Lord and Judge. So as we think about this Advent season, let's remind ourselves of what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 11. As we feel the weight, 
feel the weight of the, just the idea of repentance. The idea of putting my sins to death. Or maybe even in your own spirit having to wrestle with the reality of our sins. It could be overwhelming. It could be over it could be too heavy for us. Something that we don't seem to feel strong we don't feel strong enough that we can carry that. I can't bear that kind of weight of my own sin all the time. But Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light and I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Students, this message this morning about repentance is not meant to elicit worldly grief in you. It's meant to produce godly grief that leads to repentance and repentance that leads to life. The offer of Jesus to take your guilt and your shame and your weight and replace it with his love and his righteousness, his joy, The offer stands for you. The offer stands to any who would hear and repent. His burden is easy. His yoke is light. That He is gentle and lowly in heart. He's humble before you. That He's calling you in love and in mercy to come and lay your burdens down before Him. That's what repentance is. Putting my sins away, putting them to death, so that I might fix my eyes on Jesus, full of faith in his finished work, in his call to come and take my burdens and replace them with his own. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray for all of us in this room, for teachers and for students, for myself more than more than anyone else. that you would search us, that you would expose our hearts to the sins that reside in there. That God, even in this moment, you might, by the power of your Spirit, expose us. Move us to, to reckon with the reality that we have fallen short of the glory of God. some things that we said or did or didn't say or didn't do, the bitterness that we harbor towards one another, grudges that we've held, actions that we've committed, pride that we hold so tightly, temptations and lusts that overwhelm our minds. God, all of us, all of us still wrestle with this body of death And Lord, I pray for for all of us in this room that we wrestle with this body of death, knowing at the core of our being that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We wrestle as believers. We wrestle as those who have been bought by our Savior. But Lord, there may be some who wrestle in their own strength. Lord, I pray that you would make your offer of grace and mercy so real right now in this moment that it would be irresistible that we would take and receive the gift of grace that you offer. 
Lord, we want to be a people of holiness, a people of righteousness. We want to be a people full of life. And that means putting to death those things that cause death. So God, help us. As we think about your first coming and your second coming, help us, God, to be a people of repentance. Give us strength by your spirit to do what we cannot do on our own. In Jesus' name, amen.